Well, good morning. Um, as Dave said, I am Pastor Tim. I was uh, an associate pastor in Bristow for 14 years, and uh, I was Dan. Oh my goodness, Dan, you should have seen him running around today, just everywhere, um, running around and trying to get everything fixed and all of the little details that have to be taken care of. I appreciate you, Dan. I just want you to know, and I think your church does too, and so yeah, absolutely. Um, he's doing a tremendous job leading us in worship, and that is a Guys, that is a very vital thing to the life of a believer. And so, uh, so thank you for doing that. Thank you for, for engaging with him in that way. Um, I wanted to take a little bit of time this morning uh, just to kind of show you my family. And so you guys maybe don't know me, but this is uh, my lovely wife and my daughter. She's eight. And then the ugly guy on the, with the hat on, that's me. Um, and uh, we are a wild bunch. Um, we enjoy lots of outdoors events. We enjoy going out and uh, just being outside for riding four-wheelers and uh, running and just kayaking, whatever it might be that we could do outdoors. Um, we do that. Um, Becky and I have been married for like 17 years, and so we've... Uh, We've been enjoying that life, and we still live in Bristow, um, but I have now kind of assumed a different role here in Tulsa. Um, I'm, I'm a hospice chaplain, and so I'm just kind of taking that role as God has been calling me into that, and uh, I'm excited for what the Lord is doing there. So um, this morning, uh, Dave uh, is gone. Can you believe that? Uh, took his wife to Disney World, and I'm jealous as all get out. Uh, we uh, we got to take Journey, my daughter, to um, to Disney World, and it was a it was a really really neat event. And um, so I'm sure that they are having a blast, and not you know they're just relaxed probably today, hopefully sleeping in <laughs> and enjoying the day. And so Dave, if you watch us later, it's good to see you, brother. We will uh, we will catch up with you later. So enjoy your time away. Uh, this morning, um, I want to talk to you about the Imago Dei. Um, the Imago Dei is the image of God. Um, and when God spoke that in the scriptures, um, he spoke that about us, that, that he, he imparted his image into mankind. Um, and so with that, we're going to look at an Old Testament scripture, and then we're going to look at a New Testament example of what that was. And so um, before we do, though, I want, I want to start off with a story. Um, when I was about 11 years old, uh, my father uh, was in the military. He was, uh, uh, he had a couple different roles in the military. He was a Navy SEAL. Uh, he was a part of EOD, which is the explosive, uh, explosive ordnance disposal. That's the bomb squad of the Navy, okay? Um, and so, um, I didn't get to see my dad very much in those days. Um, we were uh, stationed in Maryland, and he was, uh, at that time, before that, he was traveling to different countries, and he was finding different weapons, and um, his responsibility was to take those things apart and find out how they worked. Um, so, and I still have him with me. I mean, it's an amazing thing. <laughs> um, but I didn't get to go with my dad to work very often. But there was one day that my dad came home. I found out that, um, th that he was being, uh, his name was on a deployment list to go to um, Desert Storm. 
And so, uh, as it were, they, they uh, brought in the younger trainees underneath him, so while he was gone, someone would be uh, responsible for the things that he was doing there at the base uh, while he was deployed. And so he asked his commanding officer, hey, do you mind if I bring my son in? We don't get to do this very often, but this is a training day, so everything's really safe. We'd like to bring him in. And, uh, and they said, yeah, that's fine. So my dad came home, and he said, son, tomorrow uh, you will be going into work with me. We're going to get up early, and we're going into work. And so, okay. Now, for me, as an 11-year-old, I'm like, oh, my gosh, now I have to get up before daylight, you know, and we're going to go out. And so anyway, our tradition was he would get up and he'd make me an omelet and make me coffee. And uh, we would we'd get up and, and we'd head out for whatever we were doing that day. And so uh, we did. We, we went to the NAV EOD Tech Center um, and we got onto base and there was a group of recruits there. Um, and I did not know what we were doing that day, uh, but it would be exciting. Um, that day, they were testing a device. It was a bomb about, about that big. As a kid, it looked about that big. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I think it, it really looked that big, but I really think that it was more like that. And it was considered what you call a carpet bomb. And uh, it had a little kind of a needle uh, on, the, on the front end of it. They call it a needle, but it's just a long rod. And as that bomb would fall out of an airplane, there would be uh, probably... Uh, you know, anywhere from 50 to 100 to 300 of these would be, would be dropped on a runway. And the intention of it was to uh, create divots in that runway so that, that the enemy couldn't use that runway. Um, so it was a, a really interesting device, and so it would be dropped out of a plane. They wanted to find out if this bomb, they did a lot of tests on those things to find out how they worked, um, to know what the issues were with it. And so... Um, they wanted to know if this was out in the field and it was run over by a tank, would it blow up? Um, if it was exposed to heat, would it automatically go off? So they were doing testing on this. Um, and so um, this was the day that I got to go to work with my dad, you know. All right, let's go test a bomb. That's fun. So, um, and so we, uh, we did. We, we went up and, and, and I got to see the device and then they placed it uh, down the range, which is way down a hill, and um, he did all these things with it. He put some wires in it, and they did this, and they did that. And then we left. And I was like, well, that wasn't very exciting. We left, and we went back to what they call the magazines, and that's where they have cameras that look at this thing. And so they were going to run the tests that happened with this bomb. So um, they began to run the tests. And so I, as an 11-year-old, am just I'm glued to my father. I'm just watching every step. And they get out debt cord, the detonation cord, and they're wiring it to this and doing that, and they've, they've strung it for hundreds of feet. I'm like, what is going on? This was a big, big deal. And everything that he did was very particular. Now, you're messing with a bomb. Everything you do needs to be done the right way. Uh, we didn't go fast. Uh, we went slow and methodical. And uh, so we connected these wires, we ran this over here, we ran this over there, and he did a number of other things. And I think, I didn't know this, I think while I was gone, they were doing the tests on it. And I didn't know that. Um, all I knew is, you know, we were, we, I'm worried about this bomb that we set up, and we're over here messing with this, you know, this briefcase that he's making for a test later on that we'll be doing. And I'm like, I don't really care about this, Dad. When we set the bomb off? You know, like, that's what I wanted to know as an 11-year-old. And so... 
the day goes on, and we did a number of things, um, but, uh, but the, the one that was most memorable to me was the time when we got to set off the bomb. And so uh, we got our debt cord, and he, he got, man, it was just like the cartoons, you know, where you have that little TNT box that you push down, and, you know, it goes, like he had this little device that these wires hooked to, I'm like, wow, this is just like the movies, you know, that kind of a thing. And so um, we set off one device that was, uh, it was some rocket motors. I won't go into that story. It's kind of, but, but, but I got to see that happen. And then um, it was time to set that bomb off. And uh, so he checks on something. He makes sure, sure everything is okay. And then we walk way, way, way up the range, almost like to a parking lot. And we get behind a dumpster. And the dumpster sat about this tall. I mean, it was, you know, maybe five, six feet wide. And we hunker down behind the dumpster. And I'm like, Dad, I want to see this thing. Like, I don't want to be behind this dumpster. <laughs> what are we doing here? He's like, son, you'll understand later, okay? And so I didn't understand at that moment why in the world I wanted to sit out here and watch the thing go off. That was my exciting thing to do. But he said, all right, um, you know, you get behind the dumpster. So we got behind the dumpster. We connected the wires. There was two or three guys that were actually with us. And then he began to give me instructions. He goes, okay, son, are you ready to do this? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. He goes, all right, you're in charge. Oh, okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, an 11-year-old got scared to death, you know. What? You're in charge. We're going to go off of what you say. And so he begins to explain to me, he goes, Here, here's how this works. Now, I've seen this uh, a couple times during the day as they have done some things, but... Uh, so I had seen it being done, but I wasn't really paying much attention. I was paying more attention to what was going on, what we were doing. Um, and so in this instance, he says, okay, Tim, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you're going to go three, two, one. Then you're going to say fire in the hole. Now, you're not just going to say fire in the hole. You're going to scream fire in the hole. And uh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm just, blood's pumping. And um, and so here it was, the time was ready. All right, you ready, Tim? I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready, Dad. I'm ready. One, or I, I go, three, two, one. Fire in, and I scream, fire in the hole, you know? And there's this little switch that you click, click, and all of a sudden, it happened. Boom! And all, all I remember, <laughs> it was a loud percussion that I heard, and rocks and stuff are whizzing by, and you hear all these things that are happening, and now rocks are kind of raining down. They're not raining down by us, but we can hear them landing down. And all of a sudden, in that very moment after that went off, I remember thinking, I am so glad I'm behind this dumpster. <laughs> At that moment made such an impact on me as an 11-year-old boy. For a moment, I got to pretend like I was my father. I got to pretend like I was in charge, man. I'm setting off bombs in the Navy, man. Come on, let's go. You know, what 11-year-old gets to do that? I don't, I don't know that there are many, but, um, but he took me down as the, as the, and, and we got to explore. He goes, no, see, see, this is why we don't allow you to stand out and watch. And there was a crater in the ground. There was a hole where this bomb had set. And uh, he picked up a piece of shrapnel and that shrapnel was about three inches in length, uh, no wider than an inch, um, 
and it was as jagged as can be, just completely jagged. If it were to come at you flying at a fast rate of speed, you can understand the damage that it would do. And so I learned a lot about the day. As I began to recount about the things that I experienced that day, I realized my dad was careful about everything that he did. My dad was meticulous about the things, the order in which we did things. As he did that, those instructors that were coming behind him, uh, he, was, he was instructing younger men that would have been taking his place as he went off to Desert Storm. Um, he was giving them the order and the way that things happen because of those things are vitally important to what you are doing. And that moment left an impact on me that I've never forgotten. And so, even as I walk into the faith, and I went to Mid-America Christian University, I played basketball for them, I studied ministry while I was there, um, and I remember um, in my um, systematic theology class, we, we learned um, what, what the Imago Day was. And when I learned that, I, th I thought back to this instance, and I've never forgotten it. But when God created the earth, when he created every, the world, when he created everything, um, there was this, this big fanfare, right? He, he said, and we're not going to read these verses, but he said, let there be. And he began to go down a litany of, of things that he wanted there, let there be. Let there be light. Let there be a vast expanse. Let there be stars in the sky, although he didn't call them stars in the scriptures, but these lights that, that, that change in seasons and days and all these things. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And then in the midst of that narrative, God stops and he says something different. He says this. Then, well, see, I, I, I put down the wrong one. I, I have an NIV version. We'll just read it off here. Then God said, Let us, not let there be, he says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God said, I give you every seed, every bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth, and to all the birds in the sky, and to all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every plant, every green plant for food. And it was so. In the midst of that, he put us in charge. The Imago Dei, there, now there's a lot of things to unpack here. There's a lot of things that we could go down. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. We're not in systematic theology <laughs> um, today. But what I do want you to realize is there are some things that you need to hear today about the image of God. Number one, you have inherent value and worth. You, you have inherent, God said when he created you, I want you to be different. I want you, I want you to be made differently. I want, I have, I've created all these other things. I've created animals and plants and all the creatures of the earth. But when I made man, that was worth something. 
So much so that he didn't just say, let there be man, and then all of a sudden there was. That's not the narrative. That's not how it goes. When he got to human beings, he said, man, I want these to be special. You guys gather around. Watch this. Just, just imagine in your mind as God is creating things. Um, and, and I had the privilege of knowing what I was speaking on. Um, but as we were singing Crown Him with Many Crowns, I'm like, oh, man, God, this is amazing. This is great. Because we do. We crown God with Jesus, of course, with, with many crowns. But, but he's worth it. Why? Because he spoke into us the likeness of him. And he gave you great value and worth. Not only did he give you great value and worth, but he gave the people around you. It's not just about you, but it's about the people around you. The image, the image of God is under constant attack and distortion. This is number three. The image of God that was placed on us from the origin, the origin of all of that, ever since the beginning of time, has been under attack, Right? It's constantly trying to be distorted. And so people, um, they struggle with, with organized religion a lot of times because God, uh, the image of God in people has slowly been, uh, it, 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 Satan has a field day just distorting the view of what the image of God is in us. And these are just some real quick points I want to point out to you and then we're going to get to an experience uh, where Jesus shows us what it looks like to to live out the, the image of God. When the image of God is in you, it's driven, excuse me, when the image of God in you is driven by the Savior, he puts you on mission, okay? In other words, when, when, when you pair the image of God that is on you, and you pair that with the gospel, the great news of Jesus Christ, it gives you a tremendous mission in your life. It puts you into the, 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 the reason why God has created you. The unique distinctness about you, it begins, when you pair those things together, all of a sudden, your life begins to make sense. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later, um, but you guys need to hear that today. Um, everyone has been stamped with the image of God, and the image of God can be used for evil, just like it can be used for good. Think about that. The image of God in you can be used for evil just like it can be for good. When God imparted his image, okay, it was, it was on all humankind. Not all humankind have believed in the Savior. Now that's kind of a weird thing to think about, but when God gave the gift, he didn't give it with any kind of strings attached. No strings. That's the beauty of God. When he created mankind, he goes, you know what? I'm going to make them in my image. And when that image reflects me, it's the most beautiful thing that ever was. When it doesn't reflect me, it can be highly destructive. We have seen that through history, have we not? We have seen people who have done horrible things. Where did they get those ideas? When did they, why would they do such things? It's because when the image, man, the image of God is a powerful thing, right? Is God powerful? Come on, church. <laughs> is he powerful? Absolutely. And so when you take the image of God and you, you distort it with evil, that's a bad thing. So I want you guys to understand this. It is vitally important that we as believers, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because it is extremely important that we 
would show people what the image of God truly is. That is the challenge that's been placed on your life and on my life. Now, to answer that challenge, to find out what to do with that challenge, um, I'm gonna, we're going we're to talk, talk on one thing, and it is this, the authority of God. When God gave us the image of God, he gave us authority. Okay? And so we're going to talk about that one specific area of the image of God. He gave us authority, and with that, um, we're going to go over to Luke um, and we're going to see how Jesus shows authority. Now, I want to share uh, uh, just a, a, a brief story. Um, when Christian Herder was a governor of Massachusetts, he was running for a hard, uh, he was running hard for a second term in office. One day after a busy morning chasing votes uh, and no lunch, he had arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon and Herder was finished as Herder moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece, of, piece on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, Governor Herder said, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman said, I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken per person. But I'm starved, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said again, only one to, to a customer. Governor Herder was a modest and unassuming man, but he decided that this time he would throw his weight around a little. Do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. To which she replied, Do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the ch chicken. Move along, mister. <laughs> now this woman understood what authority was. The pastor had given her authority to make the choice on how much chicken she doled out, and there was no governor that was going to tell her anything different, right? In Luke, we find that Jesus' authority was being questioned. Now, we as believers, before we get into this, I want you guys to see from the lens that I'm looking from, and that is this, that, that Jesus' authority is being questioned and so we as believers, with the image of God, with the understanding that we have authority in our lives that has been granted to us from our Heavenly Father, we need to understand that we have to approach situations with the authority that God has placed on us. So, Luke uh, 5, 17-26. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. Let me set the picture for you. There's a bunch of big-time dudes hanging around, all right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're sitting there. Where did they come from? Man, they came from the, every village of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. In other words, there's dignitaries in the room. People are coming to see Jesus. This is no small, you know, gathering of people that don't matter. These people matter, right? According to their culture, okay? Everybody matters. You, hear, you, you understand where I'm getting. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, I want you to just look at that statement real quick. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. That comment in the midst of that narrative, um, if you were talking about, if you were hanging out with someone, and they began to do some weird things. If you think about this, you're sitting in your living room with Superman right? And, you know, you're watching TV with Superman. It's pretty cool, right? Um, and uh, all of a sudden, someone knocks on the door. 
the door's closed, the windows are drawn shut, you can't see anything. And Superman just kind of tilts his glasses down and looks. Tom's at the door. What? How do you know it's Tom? It's Tom, right? You guys know he has x-ray vision, right? He can see through things? Okay, just making sure, right? I know I shouldn't have to say that, but nevertheless, right, if you did that and you began to tell someone a story about the time you were hanging out on the couch with Superman, okay, and, uh, and I, don't, you know, I don't even like comics, but I just thought this was the best example of, you know, of the situation we're in. Um, if you were telling that story, and you were like, I was hanging out with Jesus, or not Jesus, I was hanging out with Superman, and we were sitting on the couch, and uh, all of a sudden, he told me, like, he had some weird powers, like he could just tell me who was at the door, right? The same verbiage, the same thought is introduced here. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Jesus was doing things that they, he made a note in the scriptures to say, man, he was doing, like there was power amongst and in and through Jesus. He was doing like supernatural things. It was the weirdest thing that was happening, right? And so some men, and so, so with that understanding that he's doing powerful things, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And you guys all probably have heard this story a hundred times if you've been in church. Um, to lay him before Jesus. When the crowd could not find a way to do this because of the, the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. That's awesome. Like, first of all, you just got to appreciate their effort to go tear apart someone's roof and drop Jesus down. Um, and so, I, I also want to stop right here, and, and you may have heard this, you may not have heard this, but in, in their culture back in those days, if someone was paralyzed, um, especially from birth, it was looked on as they had sins in their life or their parents committed sins, and those sins are why that person would be paralyzed or blind, or whatever it might be. And so they began to, that person became tainted to them. Like, like that person began to live, like what, th- th- their life began to be about, what, are, what have we done wrong? And so we're searching out the sin that's in our lives, and so their lives would become fixated on this idea of what did we do wrong? Now that you know that, watch Jesus' response. Because it's strange. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, think you could run a sprint real quick? <laughs> That's not what he said. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now take that in for just a minute. And like we, we don't necessarily have the context, but now we kind of do a little bit. I think the people in the context understood that when he said your sins are forgiven, you have been chasing all of your life these things that you've been doing wrong, and the fact is you've not done anything wrong. I think in that moment Jesus recognized this man laying on this mat, his image has been distorted. Are you with me? In the moment Jesus understands he needs to understand what the image of God is all about in his life. 
Your sins are forgiven. Stop worrying about the things that you've been, been chasing after and trying to figure out why, why can I not be in good relationship with God? Why, how, what have my parents done? What have I done? How come I'm, I'm just a terrible person in society? No, stop worrying about that. I created you as a beautiful person, and I want you to understand, when you begin to understand who I am, you will know this. The image of God will reflect me. It will reflect love, right? So Jesus saw their face. He said, friend, or saw their faith. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus, with all the, we're gonna come back, all, the, all the, the people are there, and they're important people. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can forgive sins, but God, who can forgive sins, but God alone? Jesus knew that what they were thinking why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and this is the great part, he went home praising God. He went home singing and dancing. This is the way I picture it. I mean, the dude is singing and dancing, and he is telling, man, you will never believe what happened to me today. And they're like, wasn't that uh, Joe who was like crippled and all the time on a mat? Yeah, that was Joe, man. I think he's lost it. You know, like, can you imagine what that was like for him? Not only did he give me legs to walk, but he told me my sins were forgiven. He told me I'm, we've not done anything wrong. Imagine how he felt in that moment. Of course, the other people, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. When you look at that story through the lens of the fact that Jesus understands what it looks like to have the image of God. Like Jesus was God, and he understands that his people, as you begin to read the stories of the Bible and Jesus' interactions, you begin to see Jesus interacting with people to go, oh, you don't understand. There's some great things in you that I need to draw out. You're going to reflect my image, and then whenever I, when you have this encounter with me, you're going to change forever. The way that you see God, the way that you see religion, all these Pharisees and these teachers, you're going to look at them completely different. And he did. That day he, he, looked at, he didn't look at them as leaders in the, in the law anymore. He looked at them as wrong, and he looked at Jesus as a man who understood me. He reached out to my needs, right? And so here is, here's, here's three quick takeaways. Three quick takeaways. For those of us who have the image of God, and it's paired with our faith in Christ. It's paired with the gospel. There are three things that I want to touch on real quick. Number one, peace. Believers who are centered on the image of God will have peace about their situations. God is calling you to be a person, a believer, who has great peace. All the world around us is in an unrest. Amen? Goodness. <laughs> That's not more true now. 
And all my life, I, I, I have sat during the COVID season with a, an older lady at our church at, in Bristow. She said, I mean, she's probably 80-some. I love that lady. She says, Tim, I've never seen anything like this. Guys, we are called to be the, the harbingers of peace. Like, we ought to be the people who have that peace that passes all understanding. Does that sound familiar? It's, it's scriptural, okay? Um, clarity. When we, when we are just embodying the image of God, when we couple that with our faith in Christ, we have clarity about what we're to be doing. We have clarity. We have, we have understanding. God has called me to fill in the blank, whatever it is. All of a sudden, when your life gets paired, you have, you have engaged with Christ and you have sought him out and you've asked him, God, what am I supposed to be doing? And you have that clarity. You run at it after it with all of your heart, right? Jesus understood when that guy came in, he goes, I'm about to say something that's going to look I'm going to be questioned for it. I'm going to look dumb in front of people because they're going to tell me some things. These Pharisees and the teachers, they're going to say something. But Jesus knew without a shadow of a doubt. I know he cheats because he's God. Okay, I get that. But he had a clarity that he knew, I'm going to say that your sins are forgiven and I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be called a liar. I'm going to be called all sorts of things. But he had clarity in the moment. And the last thing was this, empowerment. And this is the most, this one is really interesting to me. The empowerment side of things, when, when the image of God is coupled with our faith in Christ, Christ gives us the, he empowers us to begin to minister to those around us. I'm going to liken it back to the story with my dad. I could have said one, two, three, fire in the hole. It still would have blown up. Right? Because he gave me the switch. <laughs> I could have said, fire in the hole, and just blew it, you know. <laughs> I could have done that. Now, he had all the safeties in, in check and all that. But the fact was, he took an 11-year-old son, and he empowered me to be him. Now, think about that. God has empowered you to be him. That's That's awesome. Create, innovate, designate. I mean, whatever. Just listen, go out there and be involved in your world. God has called you to do amazing things. He has empowered you to do the ministry that he's called you to. Man, that's awesome. That is why it's vitally important. It's vitally important that we, okay, that we would couple the image of God that's in us with the gospel. With our encounter with Jesus, as we seek him out, as we, as we look to, to connect with God, we have got to be the people who are showing these things to the world. Because what's happening is outside of, of God and what he's doing, uh, 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 the image of God is being distorted in man all the time. Oh, is that me? Okay. The image of God is being distorted in man all the time. So we have a big responsibility. The worship team can come up. I'm, I'm just going to pray for us. And my, um, you know, my, my response for you is this. Um, 
Let me encourage you to read the Genesis account this week. And then, I don't even care where you read. Read a story about Jesus and look at the interactions that Jesus has with his disciples. Just look at them. Watch closely as to what he is doing. It is really, really interesting as you see the intentions of Jesus as he encounters people and he begins to ex- explore and, and explain things even to, even to the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those guys. He really reveals the plan of God as he's walking throughout the earth. Will you guys bow your heads with me? Father God, I thank you so much that we are image bearers. That we have the opportunity as imperfect people to represent you, God, here on this earth. God, would you show us what that means? Would you truly reveal to us, God, how we can have those, those three attributes that, God, you just showed me, Lord? Would you show us, God, what it means to really reflect you? To be your ambassador So, Father, we pray all these things. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.